It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined for Off the Edge by the man who is known around the globe. And again, I'm not just talking about Europe, the United States, Africa, New Zealand. I'm talking about literally every single place in the entire world he is known for sacking Tom Brady. Not just once, uh uh-uh, but twice. In a single game back in 2011, Mr. Jamal Westerman. Jamal, what's going on, sir? Scott, man, appreciate you for having me. I don't know, can we keep, I don't know how long we can go with the Brady nuts. The season is over. He may be somewhere soon, cliff diving off in Jamaica or something. So I don't know, man. <laughs> is he going to be back? I don't know. Maybe I have to go look for him somewhere in California. Here's the thing, Jamal. Tom Brady is the greatest player to ever play professional football and certainly the greatest quarterback of all time. I don't care how long he's been retired for. As far as I'm concerned, if you sacked him twice in a single game, you can hold your head up high forever because that is something that almost nobody on this earth can claim. So it doesn't matter to me. I mean, if you think it devalues your accomplishment, I don't know. I'll take it. I wonder who, I who sacked uh, Broadway Drove twice in one game. That's a stat. That's what we need to find out. Who sacked Broadway Joe twice in one game? Michael Nania, if you're listening, and I know you are, get on that right now. Find that out for me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to talk to Nania about that. He always has a way of finding these crazy stats. I'll say to him, do you know who did this or this? And five minutes later, he's like, yeah, I found it, A, B, C, D. And you're like, how did he pull this off? It's like a magic trick. God bless Michael Nania. Bring I'm telling you, I really Bring think that. that an NFL team should hire him because the way that he finds these things is incredible. But Jamal, I want to ask you this week about the art of pass rushing because we talk about you sacking Tom Brady twice in a single game. So clearly you know a thing or two about how to get to the quarterback. And I wanted to talk about what makes a good pass rusher and also what you think of the actual pass rushers that are on the Jets because they don't have an acclaimed group. But they do have some guys that have their strengths and weaknesses, so I figured we would go through a couple of those. But first, they say there are five traits that you look for in an edge rusher. Speed, power, bend, technique, and arm length. I believe that if you are elite at at least three of those things, you can be a really good edge rusher in professional football. But if you can be elite... At more than three, you can really be a top-notch guy. But I think that really the bend and the twitch, that's really what can separate guys. And I wanted to get your take on this because, to me, you can have technique and you can have strength. But if you don't have that elite twitch, that elite bend, 
it's very hard to be a top-notch pass rusher. Do you think that's fair to say? I definitely think I believe that. I, you know, that twitch to get off of the football as soon as the ball is snapped, as soon as you see movement, that's one of the most important things, I think, as a pass rusher, especially on the edge. Because to be able to see the ball and anticipate the snap and to get off, and then now you're into the offensive line and he's trying to protect, but you're on him before he, before he can be ready. And then the band like you talked about, especially coming off the edge, and the guys that have that elite band, it really starts in the ankles and the, and the knees to be able to have great ankle flexibility and ankle strength when it looks like they're running on a tightrope. And they're kind of running like, you know, you see those motorcycles going around the corner, you're hitting that lean. And when you find that perfect angle and the right speed, and the right lean as, as a rusher, you feel that it's like Nirvana. You run around the corner, you know, okay, he's not going to be able to block me. Because I got off, I'm bending around the corner, I'm running, and I feel like I'm running sideways. So that's that's the best feel. So for me, it was always get off in that bend. That's what I found the most important and to be a dominant passer. Without those two, you're always going to play handicapped, I believe. So let's talk about some of your favorite edge rushers and what you think makes them special. Talk to me about some of the guys that you played in the league with, some of the guys that you grew up idolizing, some of the guys that you watch now. Who are some of your favorites, and what do you think makes them stand out? Ooh, my favorites. I mean, uh, growing up, I was, uh, you know, growing up in Florida, you know, I was, I was a Jason Taylor uh, fan. I got to play with him at the Jets. And, and his thing, you know, the one thing I always liked about Jason, he was a taller guy than me. He was longer, but he was thin. But he was so great with his hands. And, uh, you know, I got to work with him a little bit when he came to the Jets back in 2010. And he used to work this drill when he would hit the bag on the long arm and he'll have somebody behind the pop-up. And you always see JT and Gaines working this move. He'd hit you with the long arm, the long arm, the long arm, which means that he takes his arm and he normally plays on the right side. He puts it in the inside breast or the outside shoulder of the offensive lineman and he drives it back to the quarterback. And But he's always waiting for the, for the offensive lineman, the tackle, to, to lean back into him so he can come off with a quick swim and get the quarterback. So I love watching JT growing up. I mean, I was a Simeon Rice fan, the Tampa Bay Bucks back in the day. They had a, a tremendous D-line with Simeon Rice, Sapp, uh, Big Booger McFarland. I mean, those, those guys used to get after it. And Simeon Rice, I mean, he had a league get-off, but his bend and his length coming around that corner, I mean, he used to force fumbles every game, and he was another guy that I really enjoyed. And, you know, for, for me, I was a shorter guy. So guys like Screeny, Mathis, I had the pleasure to play with them in Indy for two years, and I mean for a year. Masters and Freeman, those were guys I could try to model my game after because I wasn't the 6'5", long, 6'6", you know, long edge guy. I was a 6'3", you know, shorter guy, great get off defensive end in college. And those are the guys, I mean, Freeney, that spin move, that get off with both of those guys. I mean, they were like carbon copies of each other, but I think Freeney was better straight off the edge. And I believe Masters, Freeney, no, Freeney's spin was better, but Masters off the edge, I mean, was unstoppable. And just being with them in Indy, you know, and getting to talk with them, they played the percentages so much. So I see a friend, he's like, wait a minute, second and seven, backed up on a left hash. We're playing against Houston, I believe. Second and seven, backed up on a left hash. He saw a formation. He said, okay, they're going to they throw in this formation 75% of the time. He rushed the pass and got an easy sack. So those guys, they weren't only kicking ass, you know, killing the offensive line with their great, with their elite ability and their elite pass rush move but they were students of the game, and they knew exactly when the pass was coming. So they were playing the percentages, and they just upped their odds the more and more they knew about the game. So those are some of my guys that I you know, grew up watching, some of the guys I enjoyed, and tried to try to model my game after because they were very similar makeup of me you know, in, in, uh, in our physical uh, uh, traits. 
I would just like to say that only in football could somebody like Jamal, who's six foot three and two hundred sixty pounds, be considered small. <laughs> well, listen, man, I'm talking about JT, like six six. I mean, these are like long. You know, I got I have long arms, man. You know, I, I could I could scratch my knees standing up, but you know, I'm not the big long six six guys. Now you're looking now and where the league is transitioning to, the guys on the edge are even longer because you have so much quick passes, you got to get out there on the screen game, you got to be able to play the receivers with you know, with their screen with longer guys, longer arms, they can bat balls, they can create more pressure, they can talk, knock the ball out of their quarterback hands without getting as close as I had to. So on the edge that you're going to see moving, it's going to be much longer, you know, rangier guys. So what do you think in this current game makes a great edge rusher? You just talked about arm length. But what are some of the other things that you've seen from some of the new crop of great edge rushers? And who are some of your favorites right now? What do you think of guys like Nick Bosa, for instance? A lot of new, new guys, they're using a lot of hand movement, hand scissors, hand fighting. I remember OCU in the year used to use that kind of that cross chop. And a lot of the new guys are coming with the, the hand scissors, the side scissors, where you rush the offensive lineman. And the thing with the side scissors, it just depends how you set it up. If you're a straight speed rusher off the ball, you can speed rush the offensive lineman, beat him out of the stand, and kind of set up. And as he's shooting his hands, you can hit him with the side scissors, bend, or come around the corner, reach for the ball. But if you're a guy that may not be as quick off the ball or you want to set him up and change your angle, if you adjust your angle and you rush a little bit more at the offensive lineman, your get-off has to be perfect. You hit him with a good sell, which is kind of an inside step, you know, a head fake, maybe a hand flash on the inside to get him to set his feet and shoot his hands. And then you kill his hands with your cross scissors, and you'll be able to accelerate and speed up faster than he's going to be able to recover coming off the backside. The guys that the Bosa brothers, they're both great at side scissors. You know, also like guys like Melvin Ingram. He's just a guy that uses a lot of power, a lot of misdirection, where he can come off and get on the inside of his offensive line. But he's so powerful for a smaller guy. He's only about 6'2, 247, gets under guys' pads, and he's a guy that just gets there. And, you know, there are some rushers that don't have a signature move or a signature, you know, ability where, you know, not the longest, you know, he's not elite at anything, but he's always working, he's always getting there. And another guy, you know, we're going to look at him this weekend in the playoffs, he's probably Brandon Graham, I mean, in, in Philadelphia. You know, he's a squattier, sicker guy out of Michigan, but he's a guy that can play inside and outside. And for him as a rusher, it allows him to find those mismatches. And that's what you want to see out of these elite rushers that some guys are just, you know, back in the day was Freeney was on the right, Mathis was on the left. And they ran that, I mean, for years and years and was racking up sets. Now the way that the offensive scheme and their protection, if you can move your top rusher around, if it's an edge guy, and you can put him on the inside, get a mismatch with speed, with a guard that can't move his feet, you know, that becomes more valuable. And it's the same thing with your bigger inside D tackles. Now you see them kicking on the outside where they can have a mismatch with the offensive tackle with their power. So the more you can do as a rusher, inside or outside, I think the better it is. So the young guys are coming along. I like, you know, the side scissors is something I'm seeing now because it allows them to give a move without really getting into the offensive line and they get too physical with them. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. 
They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. What are the differences between trying to win inside and trying to win outside? Because I think that having a tandem where both guys, one on the inside and one on the outside, are excellent can really be difficult to defend. And I'll give you an example, and you just talked about one, but going back a little bit further, the Chiefs. Back in the day when they had Derek Thomas on the outside and Neil Smith on the inside, the two of them were just killing quarterbacks. And it was like you block one guy on the outside and the guy on the inside is going to get you. You block the guy on the inside, the guy on the outside is going to get you. But, of course, in the case of Smith and Thomas, usually they couldn't block either one of them. So it was (laughs) pretty much a (laughs) no-win situation. But tell me about how you win inside versus how you win outside. Because I think a lot of people will say you have to have an outside rusher to win consistently in the pass rush game. But I'm not so sure that that's true. I think you can be elite at either one. I just think that maybe it's a little harder to win inside. Do you think that's true? And if so, why? I believe in the NFL, it is a little bit harder to win inside. That's why you see guys like, you know, you know what Aaron Donald is doing. And everybody's so amazing. He's probably defensive player of the year every year, you know, for the next, the last couple and the next couple, because to be able to create that much pressure inside when you're literally in between two guys, you know, you're in between a guard and a center, you know, a guard and a tackle where you can catch a double team, you know, the running back can come inside and chip, and it's just a smaller space. I mean, what you can do inside is, is, is tremendous. And the one thing about having an elite guy inside that is the shortest pass to the quarterback, it's a straight line. And we always talk about, you know, the quarterbacks, what, what is their problem? pressure in the middle, pressure in their face, because that's where they're looking to step up and complete their passing. Now, having an elite guy on the outside is also good because those guys on the outside, I, I believe they create more fumbles. They create more – they can do more in the passing game and, your, you know, when you're, your screens, you know, they, you have to protect with your running backs on them, maybe chip and try to get out. You know, they can knock down passes, and they're always going for the ball. As, as we saw this year when the Jets played the Steelers, the play that uh, Watt made, you know, he, he went, and he didn't just win and score for the sack. You know, now you make sacks the quarterback, and they'll take it away with the penalty. Oh, you're laying on the quarterback, you know, throw a flag, you know, defensive man throwing out the game or something like that. 
But now everybody's attacking the ball, trying to create turnovers. So if you can be elite inside or outside, you can have a great pass rush team because what you always learn as a defensive lineman, the number one rule is win your one-on-one battle. So there's five guys blocking on me, four defensive linemen. So, hey, somebody's going to be double. If you're one of the guys that has a one-on-one battle, you are expected to win it. And that's what they always preach. Win your one-on-ones, win your one-on-ones. So if you're lucky enough to get a one-on-one battle, you can win. So the elite guys that can be doubled and still create pressure, still create sacks, your D-linemen and your everybody else on that D-linemen, their talent goes up a little bit because now you're getting more one-on-one because we're doubling Donald. Over, we're doubling Khalil Mack coming off the edge. We're paying more attention to him. We're keeping a, a tight end into block. So now your safeties and your linebackers, their jobs are easier. So having an elite guy somewhere on that front can free up a lot of things. And a lot of, you know, a lot of um, coordinators, it can free them up to do, uh, I mean, so many different and multiple things with their defense because that guy's always going to uh, demand a double team. Before we talk about some of the guys that were edge rushers on the Jets in 2019, Jamal, I want to ask you about how you personally win your matchups. What are some of your go-to moves? What are some of the techniques that you like to use? I mean, early in my career, I was a speed rusher, so I thought to come off the edge, you know, kind of great get off the ball. You know, when I was uh, my first year, my rookie year, we had uh, Chuck Smith. He came in, and he, he was our pass rush consultant. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he was all about, you know, Chuck, stay up the mind, West. Stay up the mind. It's a mirage. Violent hands, hands of mass destruction. <laughs> and so I learned to try to use my body more, use my hands, you know, try to, you know, set the offensive lineman up, get him looking. And his big thing was get off vision eyes. Get off the ball, see the offensive lineman, and then use your hands. Get off vision hands. And so that's what I turned into where using more of my hands. And then I, be, I became a kind of get off the ball, set him up inside out, and depending on where the offensive lineman shoots, shoots his hands, if I stick him inside, and I feel him sit down and try to punch me to protect the inside B-gap. I side to come outside or hit him on the outside with a, a long arm and rip the corner. But if I stick him outside and he jumps, then you can attack his inside shoulder, work to the quarterback. But the biggest thing when, you're, when I was coming inside was trying to work back up the field to keep the quarterback in. You know, as I progressed onto the CFL, you know, I became more of a long arm and come off rusher. So tremendous get off the ball. Stick my, my arm out of mid-chest. I, I like to really work the inside pad off an offensive line because I feel you can control them a little bit more and, you know, playing against guys like Brick in practice. Brick was a, a tackle, and he would always try to keep his outside arm to, to himself. So we try to play with his inside end because a lot of offensive line, a lot of tackles know that most of the time if you give out that outside shoulder, you're beat around the edge. So Brick was so long that he'll play his body back but play with his right hand. But I always thought that when I attacked him, at least got into his chest, it was forcing him to kind of shoot the outside hand that I can work it. So now I'm more of an outside the rusher where he'll come off the, you know, kind of like, not the bull rush, but kind of like a long arm stab working upfield. And depending where I feel, you know, the, the, the weight up the offensive line, if he sits hard on it, I may pull him, rip the outside shoulder, come over, come over top and go for the quarterback. But if he kind of sits back and try to hold me, then you just run him into the quarterback. But, uh, you know, with, with pass runs nowadays and how the game's playing, I've seen quarterbacks like Russell Wilson, you know, the way they move around the pocket. You have to be a rusher that just consistently keeps rushing. And that's the one thing you say about you know, the great guys now. You know, they'll win on their, their counter. You know, it's not only the, the first one to get off and the, the rip or to get off in the side for the These guys now keep rushing because the quarterbacks in college, and now you're seeing more quarterbacks in the NFL, that everybody is mobile. So he's, he's going to make the first that miss. 
I wanted to go through some of the guys that the Jets currently have at edge rusher with you, and then from there, talk to you a little bit about some of the guys that may be available as free agents, because I think this will give Jets fans an idea of where the Jets' outside pass rush is right now, and some of the help that could come in the form of big-time free agents if the Jets are lucky enough to land one of those guys. I'll throw the names out at you, and you can tell me what you see from each guy in sort of a rapid-fire response. Terrell Basham, Frankie Louvu, Jordan Jenkins, and Brandon Copeland. I mean, I think four guys, they, they have a lot of tremendous upside, but we didn't see a lot of them because the Jets blitz a lot this season. You know, they, they're a lot of pressure. But Bash, I mean, he's not the biggest guy, but he's very disruptive. He uses his long arm. And I think he played his best football at the end of the season. You know, he had, a, he had an interception against the Duck. Duck Hodges blocked punt. He had a sack late. You know, more of a pressure guy. But he's a guy that's, you know, growing in. And I think the more that he can be in this system, he can be a rusher. Uh, Jenkins, obviously, I mean, eight sacks. And you don't let that walk out the door. I think people think when you lose, it's just ego. He just got eight sacks or in a certain amount of games. I mean, ten sacks, whatever, in a certain amount of games. But this is a guy that's getting to the quarterback. And over the, the time of the Jets, they've had a tough time of finding guys who consistently get to the quarterback. And he's a guy that plays tremendously hard this year, you know, doing a good job of bending the edge and reaching for the ball. So he can be a guy that, you know, that can continue to grow in. And I look forward to seeing them re-sign him. You never know, but he's a guy that you definitely want in the organization. Louisville, you have to see more of him. A lot of effort, a motor, a get-off. I mean, he can be a dog. Copeland, Copeland. Hurt a little bit, banged up. So you expect his best football to be in front of him. So it's hard to truly judge this group of uh, this talent because they did blitz so much in the offense, but they all have they all have something that they bring. You know, if it's a motor, if it's saying, you know, a guy that's playing his best football, but they do need another guy. I think they do need another guy to put up front, somebody that can be an elite guy to kind of pull some of the, you know, pull the double team so those guys can have, you know, more of an upside. What about the big four free agents that are expected to hit the market? Now, it's possible that not all four of these will, but let's say that they do. What do you observe when you see these four? And I'm going to throw them out at you. Shaq Barrett, who came out of nowhere this year in Tampa Bay with our old friend Todd Bowles, no less. Bowles coached him up. It's true. Bowles coached him up, and now he's going to cash in. Jadavian Clowney, his first year in Seattle, was disappointing for a lot of the way, but of course he had that monster game against San Francisco, and he had that controversial play against Carson Wentz in the playoffs. It was good. Yeah, you thought it was okay. It wasn't controversial to you? No, man. You're a quarterback. You're a tough guy. We talk about the quarterback now. They're getting tougher. They're running more. They're picking up first down, so... Listen, man, guys are going to try to hit you, and it's your job. So, you know, you got to protect yourself, too, man. It's, you know, it's a football field. Dante Fowler Jr., who made a risky gamble on himself by taking a one-year deal, but he had a nice year with the Rams, so it looks like he's going to cash in. And then the fourth guy, and this to me is the ultimate prize of the pass rushers if he hits the free agent market, is Yannick Ngakwe from Jacksonville, who's only 24 years old and already, to me, one of the best edge rushers in the sport. So talk to me a little bit about those four guys. How would you rank them one through four? Who would you be looking to try and go after if you were the Jets and you had the opportunity to do it? And then what are the strengths and weaknesses, do you think? I think Yannick down in Jacksonville, I think that's the one you want to go after. I mean... All those guys can rush. I mean, he's a true, pure edge rusher. I mean, he brings speed, he brings bend, he brings flexibility off the edge. I mean, quick twitch. I mean, just a, a tremendous, you know, rusher that gets up the field. And the thing with it, he's only 24. You know, and that group, the next guy we want is Clowney, man, because Clowney's a guy like we were talking about earlier. He's not in – he's not – you can't say he's an elite on the edge. 
but I think he's an elite football player. You know, in Houston, they found a way to use him a lot inside, kind of stemmed off the ball, rushing, beating guards, you know, creating the mismatch with that guy. So we know he's a tremendous athlete and just a tremendous football player. And wherever he's at, it's probably going to be a, a mismatch. But he's not a guy that you're going to line up and you're going to set him on the right edge and just say, just come all day. He's going to create pressure. You're going to have him over a guard. You're going to walk him around. So he's a walking mismatch. So those two are the guys I want. I mean, the other guys, are, I think they're tremendous players. They're, you know, they're good guys. But I think those are the cream of the crop with those two guys. Is it suspect to you at all that Shaq Barrett is a one-year wonder who produced out of nowhere and did it on a one-year contract, so now he's looking to cash in? Are you ever suspicious of guys that do their best work in their contract year? Oh, not at all. I, I think that's a little bit blown. I think people are professional. and Sometimes you get the opportunity when you're a pending free agent. Sometimes, you know, it's your last season and you've been in the system or, you know, you're more of a professional, you're a year older, and now you have an opportunity to go out there and you can show what you can do. I think it's overblown sometimes, oh, he's in a free agent year, so he's going to try to play his best. I think guys are always trying to play their best. They're trying to put it out there. And most of the time when you're in a free agent year, what is the coaching staff doing? You know, sometimes upper management, they're looking for the next guy. So sometimes your last year may not be your year to get to get paid because they're looking for the next guy. They're looking for, okay, who's going to be our next standout that's still under contract next year? So that can take away from your rest. But I think for him, he came out, and from the beginning of the season, he was a problem to block on the defensive line. I mean, he was a problem from day one. It wasn't, let me get going, I'm a free agent, let me see how it's happening. He came out and he worked hard from the beginning. So I don't think it's a... I don't think it's suspect or anything like that. I think he did what he had to do to get the sacks he got. It's just going to depend on, like, with a lot of guys. Obviously, you, you want to look for the money. But for him, maybe it's a system. Maybe it's a certain coaching staff that you felt, you know, found your best, you know, your best trait and put him on shine. So, for him, I mean, I think he's going to go out. He's going to get paid. And, you know, I think he'll, he'll be a good rusher continuously because now you know about him. Now you get to see when all the pressure is on him, how he, show, how he shows up. And I think he will. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. There's been talk that Greg Williams might change to a more 4-3 base. If that happens, do you think that that nullifies any of the value of those guys or even Jordan Jenkins, who's an impending free agent? Because it seems to me like if you are going to do more base 4-3, it makes Jenkins less valuable. Do you feel that way too? And do you think that's the case for any of the guys that are going to be impending free agents that we just talked about? I mean, I think that statement alone shows that it doesn't matter what type of rushes he has. You know, if you can say that like, he's going to switch his whole defense to a 4-3 base or he's going to, you know, last year was more 3-4, he's the guy that, you know, it doesn't really matter. Whatever they end up getting him, I guarantee Greg Williams will find a way to get him in the backfield. And that's the one thing you saw this year was whatever players he's had, he's found a way to make them successful, to make them work in the defense, and you know, to make them play sound defense. So if you give him Clowney, he may say, all right, we may be a little bit more 3-4. But maybe Clowney will be rushing more from the inside position, maybe like a Mike walked up or something like that. If it's more 4-3, maybe you have the guys just, all right, coming off the edge. So I don't think what defense you know they're going to run, it, it'll be too, too dramatic with what true free agents they pick because just like the defense can change, you know, just like, you know, you can pick free agents, 
you may have a guy here, you sign him, you know, in a big deal for, you know, four or five years, and, you know, the coaching staff can change. You know, so you may go from a 4-3 to a 3-4. So I think it's hard with just – you're just picking players to fit, you know, certain defenses. You want to pick the best athletes you can find and put them in position to be successful. Got to ask you this, Jamal, since you brought up Chuck Smith before, and I was laughing as you were doing that impression. What would it sound like if Chuck Smith was trying to work with Yannick Ngakwe on how to rush the passer? (laughs) (laughs) You see the DVD player? I have 1,158 pass rushers. I have everybody say, I have LT on here. I have the great Reggie White. Hands of master shirking, young man. It's a mirage. Get off vision hand. I mean, you know what, though? Chuck was a, a tremendous, a tremendous teacher of passers. And really my first year, I, to be real, I, I was Chuck Smith in, our, in my rookie shows. I played Chuck Smith. But I had a lot of respect for him just going through camp, going through OTAs, because he's a teacher. And he's a guy, no matter, we're in the dining, we're in the dining room at uh, Florham Park, we're dining hall in the Florham Park, and I'm sitting there just getting breakfast. Chuck comes in with a DVD player, and he starts popping him in one by one. Oh, look at Jason Taylor. Look at Freeney. Yeah, I even have Reggie White for a sack. I'm like, Chuck, let me get my omelet in, and we can talk. He's like, man, young West, <laughs> you always got to be working. Young West, you always got to be hunting. So I, I enjoy working with Chuck. And that's the thing, you know, that's the thing with football and pass rush. You know, you find guys that have love for certain things and they're passionate about it and they go all the way. So I definitely enjoy working for Chuck Smith. You know, he volunteer for life. So he always just say, VOL, man, volunteer for life. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I could listen to you talk about pass rushing all day because I find it fascinating and I love how in-depth you can get with it because – You know it so well because you've been doing it for most of your life. But I also could listen to you do impressions of Chuck Smith all day. It's absolutely incredible. Cracks me up. That's my guy, man. That's my guy. ATF Falcon. ATF Falcon. I've talked about this before, but for people that weren't around in the 90s, Chuck Smith truly was one of the best pass rushers I've ever seen. Just incredible technique. And he had so many different moves, and he was productive over and over again every single year. So... I think if you're a young edge rusher looking to learn, I'm pretty sure you'd agree with this. As you just said, he's a teacher. There are very few that are better at teaching than he is. Yeah, but I think, I think you know, I always give Chuck Hale, though. He had that nice, you know, the Astro turf down here in Atlanta. You know, so, hey, get off was a little bit better than that Astro turf. So I always give him a little bit of dab for that. But, yeah, man, <laughs> tremendous teacher, man, tremendous pass rusher, man. But that turf, you got to be a little faster, right? That get off, I think it becomes a little bit, it becomes elite off that, you know, that Astro turf. <laughs> I agree that he might have gotten a little bit of a spike But I don't think it's like Coors Field Where it takes a guy who might hit All 20 right. home runs And makes him hit 40 I think it might have given him a little bit of an edge But you don't get to be that good of a pass rusher Just because you're on the Astro turf, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess he had a, you know more than just two sacks on one player. So, yeah, I guess he's a, he's a pretty good pass rusher <laughs> To be fair, though, he never sacked Tom Brady twice in a single game, did he? Yeah! Did you ever get him? Well, you know what? I don't know, man. Nah, yeah. I don't think I don't think Brady was playing back then. He might have still been in high school. I could legitimately do an entire podcast about Chuck Smith, but I know that you are on your way to the airport and you're almost there. So we have reached the point of the show, Jamal, when it's time for you to talk about something that happened in the past. I believe it's time for story time with Jamal. Tell me a story. Oh, that's one of my favorites. And Jamal, 
Since you mentioned Jason Taylor and how you grew up with him as one of your favorite edge rushers and how you had the opportunity to play with him, I thought maybe you could share a story from your time being around Jason Taylor with the Jets. Oh, Jason Taylor, JT, man, JT Money. I mean, tremendous player, Hall of Famer. I got a chance to, you know, just learn on the side with him, play with him in, in the locker room, man. I mean, JT is a tremendous dude, great dude. But I got a funny story. So, similar to the last couple of weeks when uh, Jets played Buffalo, the last game of the season, people were giving the Jets themselves the Buffalo's third string. But for me, I was on the other end of that. So, my second year in the NFL, you know, I was hurt, I hurt some of the years. So, the last game of the season, we were already in the playoffs. And I was active that game because I was back healthy. And that game was basically, you look at it like, listen, Jets are already in, so they're not going to play the starters much. So a lot of the guys that were backing up reserve, rotational guys, you were going to have to play a lot. But this was an opportunity to get on the playoff roster. So I'm, I'm excited because I know I'm going to play. So basically me, Vernon Goldson, we were both kind of battling, not battling for real because we were teammates, but we understood that they were only going to have one of us on the playoff roster moving forward to back the guys up. Something okay. I'm gonna get a lot of reps this game. I'm trying to get a stat, make a play. Please let me get on the playoff roster. So we go into the game. I think Calvin Pace had an interception, had a sack. He he sat down. You know, a couple other guys made some plays. Marquise Cole had some plays. You know, a couple guys sat out. And then me and Vernon going out. And then you hear JT, and he's like, "Hey, let me rush, Wes." I'm like, "JT, man, but you're the you're JT. Go sit out. Let me rush, and you drop because in the defense and the fire zone." One guy was the rusher, and the other guy was dropping in a scene flat coverage. So I said, JT, listen, you drop. Let me make some plays. I want to be on a playoff roster. Came off to the sideline. I was talking to Pace, a couple of the guys, and I come to find out JT had some sort of crazy contractual thing where if he had, like, another two sacks, he was going to, like, show up his next year's contract or get a big bonus this year. So I'm like, well, F it, man. JT, go rush, man. So I'm trying to get him paid. I, th- I don't think he, he, he got it, but I think he got, like, one of the bumps. So – I mean, JT, he didn't say anything to me. He didn't say, like, hey, young fella, I need a, I need a career day to, you know, get some money or anything like that. But it was on the sidelines. So I'm like, man, this is Jason Taylor, Hall of Famer, and I'm trying to help him just get a little bit more. But, I mean, good dude, man. You can take us out for dinner, man. Good fun. But, man, Jason, I think I, I could have – maybe I could have got another sack. Look at that. He stole, I, I, I blame Jason Taylor, man. He, he stole one of my sacks. He should have at least given you a cut of the bonus, right? He never said it, though, so I couldn't put it on him. He never came to me and said it was a bonus. He just said, hey, hey, young fella, young fella, I'm a rush. I'm like, hey, J.C. Money, when, listen, when the Hall of Famer talks to you on the football field and you're still wet behind the ears, you kind of let him, all right, man, it's on you. This is true. I would imagine that when one of the greatest to ever play the position that you're playing says something to you, you just kind of listen to it. And do whatever he says because that's the ultimate sign of respect. I will say in terms of Jason Taylor, for as great as he was, it was so weird having him on the Jets. It just never felt right. And I don't feel that way with most players because the way things are now, players come and players go. And everything is different now because back in the old days, you didn't have the kind of free agency where guys were only stopping over for a couple of years here and there. But Jason Taylor was a Dolphin his whole career. And him coming to the Jets just felt so strange. And to this day, when people talk about it I almost feel like it didn't happen So <laughs> it's just kind of funny To hear you tell the story Of playing with him on the Jets Because again in my mind He's always been a Dolphin Always will be a Dolphin And him coming to the Jets Was just some strange Surreal out of body experience in a way The crazy thing about JT is Every day, every practice He, he was a Hall of Famer Like he came to work I mean he was a teacher 
He was a leader. And that's the fun thing about seeing the guys that you grow up watching, that when it is the truth, when the proof is in the pudding, when you when you meet him, you're like, man, this is why this man is great. It's because of the work that he puts in. So it's always fun. You know, and he was a guy that I grew up, like, idolizing, had his picture at my house, you know, wanted to wear his number in, in high school. So, I mean, just to get an opportunity to play with him. And a lot of crazy stories with JT, man. A lot of fun playing with the former Miami Dolphins. I think, you know, they always have a lot of fun in Miami, too. So, <laughs> <laughs> And the funny thing is, he said numerous times how much he hated Jets fans. So him coming here was certainly interesting. I remember that the big thing at the time was Rex Ryan really sold him on coming here and that he could do something with him. And to be fair, at least in terms of raw numbers, he had a decent amount of sacks. But obviously, he wasn't the same Jason Taylor that we had seen in his prime. But it does sound like he was quite a presence, even at the latter stage of his career that you experienced being his teammate. So I have a newfound respect for Jason Taylor. I still think it's weird that he was ever a Jet. And I still don't fully trust him because of all the stuff that he had said about Jets fans. But... Because he was so good to you and because of what you're saying about how hard he worked. Newfound respect. And I always respected how good he was as a player. So that's a whole separate story. But newfound respect for Jason Taylor as a player. Jamal, thanks so much for coming on. As always, here on Off the Edge, really appreciate it. Before you go, why don't you tell everybody how they can get a hold of you if they want to interact on social media. I know some of the listeners of the show were giving you a hard time about some of the things that you said defending Adam Gase a little bit last week. So if they want to give you a hard time or compliment you or whatever they want to say to you, how can they get a hold of you? And no time is a hard time, but get a hold of me on, you know, Jamal Westerman on uh, Jamal with J-A-M-A-L, two A's before the L. On Twitter, Jay Westerman 90 on Instagram. You know, love talking football, love talking Jets. It's not too bad of a hard time. I, you know, I always appreciate with fans, you know, they got something to say, they have an opinion. And it's me that's reaching back with the answers. So never a hard time, always fun, you know. And I love talking to Jets Nation. And remember, when you search for Jamal on Twitter and on Instagram, it's J A M A A L. The two A's are because Jamal sacked Tom Brady, not just once. But twice. Double up. In a single Double game. Up in a game. That's right. Back in, in 2011. In game. One game. What? I think they, they stole one. They stole one from me. I had him in the, in the end zone for a safety, but they gave me the safety instead of the sack. You see, I mean, it, it, the two points are great, but that sack, man, they stole one. But, yeah, man, hit me up on social media, Twitter, love talking, you know, just football in general, but definitely just football. If he would have had that third sack, he would have been in the record books. There are only two players in NFL history that have sacked Tom Brady three times in a game. Joey Porter, believe it or not, did it twice, and the other was Grady Jarrett in the Super Bowl, which is the ultimate. So you could have been there with those two guys, but the referees robbed you. But still, two sacks, one game, number 12, Tom Brady, Jamal Westerman. Thanks so much for coming on. We'll talk next week. In the meantime, follow Jamal on social media, both Twitter and Instagram. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and Turn on the Jets dot com.